Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we have a very special episode for you here today. We're extremely privileged to have with us uh, a special guest from a number of movies that we've done previously on our podcast. Some movies actually that uh, are some ended up being some of our favorite episodes and also some of the best responded to episodes from our fans. And so we're absolutely delighted to have Ms. Linnea Quigley here on our show today. Hello, Linnea. How are you? I'm doing good, homeboy. Uh, it's so good to hear. <laughs> it really is. It really is. How are my homeboys doing? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Oh, great. You, we hear you. Are you out in L.A. right now working on a working on a picture? No, I'm here to stay like a lint on a lint track. Uh, I'm well, here. Yeah, well, we I'm know. here. I, I'm going to stop with that. <laughs> that's fine so uh the movie that we're watching today is creepazoids but of course we've had you on um we've had movie slime sorority babes in the slime ball bolorama night of the demons return of the living dead some of your most iconic movies turned out to be some of the most iconic movies of the 80s Ch- craig and i are both children of the 80s actually so we grew up watching your movies and really respecting and admiring your performances in those so yeah, well, I think that um, Creepazoids was maybe one of at least two movies that you've done with director David Decoteau. Yes. And we uh, read online uh, a little quote from him that said that he said he particularly enjoyed working with you on this film. Oh. Uh, so you also worked with him on Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama. Do you have any special memories from working on that set? Oh, yeah. I was. He said I could pick whatever part I wanted. And, you know, of course I picked that part because it was really cool. Yeah, And um, it was just weird because we would have to wait, you know, it's low budget and we had to wait till the bowling alley closed. So, you know, we could go film, which was like around nine, 10 at night. And then we would go in there, we'd start makeup and then we'd be ready to film at 10. We'd go in at nine and then at 10 we'd do that. And Andres was just a kid, just a little boy when he did it and coming into maturity. And so it was just really funny he would cause a lot of havoc because he couldn't go with the, the older girls, you know, to the bars or anything. And I was, I stayed there. I didn't really want to go out. So it was just funny because, you know, his hormones would kick in and he'd come into my room and get under the mattress and flip it over. And, you know, I guess that's how he showed admiration or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun. Um, you know, as I was watching, this was the first time I had seen Creepazoids. I had read some things about it, but uh, it was the first time I'd seen it. And as I was watching it, I, I saw the five main actors, y- you all, were all very young um, and very beautiful. And I thought, these guys must have had a good time. Miss Quigley surely has some good stories she can tell us about working with this crew. Oh, my gosh. It was wonderful because we always had the same people pretty much working on the crew. You know, the same wardrobe, um, a lot of times the same makeup people, same cameraman, VP, uh, sound producer. So it was, it's like, it was like home. It was like doing something at home. So it was, it was really cool. It was fun. I bet. It looked like fun, and that's what I thought when I was watching this movie. It, it seemed like uh, you all were having a lot of fun doing it. I was reading some reviews, and, and some of the reviews were not particularly kind, but uh, all of them said, um, if you're a fan of Linnea Quigley, you've got to see this movie, and, and I agree. I, I am a big fan. Um, I've been a fan of all your work. 
You know, as Todd said, we were growing up kids and adolescents in the 1980s. And back then, I I doubt that I knew your name, but I certainly recognized your face in in a lot of these iconic roles that you played. Uh, And you were just always such a joy to watch on screen. So did the falling into the horror genre just kind of happen naturally? Is it something that you intentionally pursued or is that just how kind of things worked out? I. It was just how things worked out, pretty much. Um, I was a fan of horror films and and the low-budget films. I didn't know they were low-budget when I was watching them as a kid. It seemed right. it, there was right. no... It wasn't like it was divided, like, oh, this is high-budget and this is low. It was just like everything was the same. I didn't know anything about anything, you know, in filming. And so um, it was like I just enjoyed the ones that happened to be low-budget. Well, we certainly do, too. And and that's one of the things that we appreciate about these kinds of movies is the the craftsmanship that has to go into them. You know, films today with CGI, we don't have anything necessarily against CGI or big budget effects, but uh, we have a lot of admiration for these kind of practical effects that take so much artistry and creativity. And so to be around all of that, I can only imagine was a lot of fun for you. Oh, it was. It was was just so... It was so fun to just make fun of ourselves and the other person and the scripts were, you know, they were silly, but I think they reached a large audience. Oh, yeah. And you could watch them and people would say they got them out of depressions and things, too, which is crazy. But, you know, I guess going into another world and experiencing it. Yeah, well, it it must have touched lots of people because you have a huge fan base, um, and everything that I've read, you know, I've I've read things where people have talked about meeting you and how kind and gracious you are, and I know that uh, you do a lot of the conventions uh, and things, and you're always willing to greet your fans, and you know, all of that is evidenced by the fact that you were willing to do this with us, which we are so grateful for, but is, is that something that is fun for you to go out there and really interact with these people who have known you and admired you for so long? Yes, it is. It really is. People are really sweet in the horror circuit, believe it or not. Um, you know, cause people give it a bad name, but I've gone to, you know, do these things where you get animals out of shelters, like win a trip with me to the shelter and we get animals out and they'll be standing in line with their, their animal. They got a dog or cat and they'll be talking about, Oh, you know, boy, you got it with the chainsaw and there was blood everywhere. It was great. But you know, they would not, if there was an animal in it, that would be it. They would not watch it. <laughs> oh, man. Craig is the and same I, way. I talk about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're really down on that stuff. It's great. Uh, yeah. Well, you're very active with um, animal rights organizations, right? Uh, PETA, some charities, things like that. Uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit about your work there and, and why that's important to you? Yeah. Well, right now, I got a place that has some land, and I'm going to do the paperwork. About, oh, God. Um, it's I've got a, a building, and I'm going to have the sanctuary. I've already got two guests, a dog and a cat. One of the dogs, like the other day when I was coming back from the Egyptian theater at like 1.30 in the morning, was like you go down this like kind of a desolate road, and there was something in the headlights. I'm like, what is that, a wolf? And I'm, I get out, and it's this huge Malamute, no, Husky, mm-hmm. I think wolf hybrid, and I – I got it in the car and, you know, it needs a home. So anybody, you know, it really needs a home. It's so sweet. It is so sweet. 
it's just a doll, and it's like a big teddy bear. Yeah, I saw him, I saw him on your Facebook page, and I thought that, that was really admirable. So yeah, if, if you're interested in helping out this dog, you can go to Miss Quigley's official page, and uh, the information is there. Um, and I'm a huge animal lover, too, so I appreciate uh, all your efforts in that capacity. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's like I... And the other day, it's like I was on a like a freeway type thing, and there was a dog that was running, and I like ran out into the freeway, and I'm like trying to get it, and then it ran the other way, and I'm like, oh my god, I was terrified it was going to hit, because semis are going by, and I was like so terrified it was going to get hit. I was so terrified, I finally had to scare it into another place, and I felt horrible. It's like I forget what movie it is where the guy, the kid has the deer and he has to be mean to it to go away. <laughs> I'm like, get out of here, go. And I'm like, oh, I don't mean to be mean, but I had to. Or right. It would have gotten hit bad. Yeah. Well, I've been, yeah, uh, no way. I've been eating vegan for the last three or four years now. And uh, I started out doing that just because, just for my health, you know, to see kind of uh-huh. what that would do for my body, how that would kind of clean me out. And it's really interesting how once you start doing that, it has another effect on you. Like after a while, I thought, yeah, this is really pretty easy. And eating meat started to feel a little disgusting. And then I started to kind of question, why are we even doing it in the first place? And this wasn't a road I had even thought of going down, but it was just a natural consequence of how I was eating. Wow, that's interesting. That's really good. That's great. And you've been... And now there's so many things that are good. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, especially like... Yeah, way better now. Now, have you been uh, an animal person your whole life? Have you been eating vegan or vegetarian your whole life? Or is this something that, uh, again, there was like a moment or something that, that kind of awakened you? There was a moment. I wish, I wish, I wish I could have started earlier. I didn't correlate them together when I was growing up. I didn't correlate, oh, you know, animals are killed for this. As a kid, you know, you have that stupid chart, you know, grains, protein or meat, vegetables and fruits or whatever it is that you have, you, they drill into your head. At least they did then. So I grew up with that, but I think I was around 22 or 23. I went, okay, I'm changing. Well, and you know, uh, Todd and I both grew up in the Midwest, uh, very near where you grew up. In fact, we, uh, both are from, we're both from Missouri and, and that's where we met is, uh, in my hometown uh, of Kirksville, Missouri, which is, uh, in the very Northeast corner. So we're very close to where you grew up. And, and so we know how much meat and hunting and those types of things are ingrained in the culture. And so it's, it's kind of difficult to break away from that. But you, uh, when you were fairly young, uh, moved to LA, which is where you were encouraged to begin modeling and acting. Um, was that something that you had even considered? I mean, I know that you had other interests too. You, you're a, a performer, a singer. I know, I know that you, you had, had interest, interest in law enforcement, enforcement at some point. point. Um, was, was acting, acting something, something that, that you wanted to do or is it just something that uh, came up and, and you found your success and just kept going with it? I think it just happened because I was so, so shy. I didn't, I didn't think it was even possible. Yeah, like no way would it be possible. It just seemed like so far of a reach because growing up in Iowa, it's like you don't really, at least I didn't have any kind of a of a thing that, oh, I'm going to be able to be famous. It right. was like just such mm-hmm. a far away thing. And I didn't think I was pretty enough or talented enough. And, you know, I couldn't even make cheerleader. And so it was like, I just, didn't think it was possible. And it's like, when I moved to LA, I 
kind of came out of my shell and acting is safe because you have a script. Right. And you know right. it's not going to deviate from when you go to a party or something. There's no script. You're just there. Yeah, I, I understand that entirely. Yeah. It's, it's funny, funny to me that, that uh, you say that you were so shy, uh, but, but I, I have, have also read, read that you said that you much prefer to play roles that are very different than who you are in your day-to-day life. Hearing from you that you're shy is a little bit surprising because, you know, one of your trademarks is your willingness to... To, uh, do some nudity uh, in your films. And I've, I've read, you know, I, I'm taking these quotes. I, I hope I'm not misquoting you. I'm, I'm just taking them from uh, your IMDb page. But um, I, I've read that you have said that sometimes in film, nudity can be imposed upon uh, performers and that sometimes it goes too far. But I also read that you also take it as a compliment that people appreciate your body and and that that men and and presumably some women you know want to see your body has your um stance on nudity in film uh changed at all uh over the years Um, or do you think that the standards of nudity in film have changed over the, the span of your career oh it's definitely changed because when i was doing movies the big stars that was like and also the little ones would not do nudity. It was like a big no-no. In fact, most of the actors was like, they told them, if you do nudity, you'll never work. And they, you know, this and that. And so it was kind of a thing where you had to go, well, I'm going to go against the grain and do it because mm-hmm. I want to work. So now it's like everybody, I think maybe Sharon Stone might have broke the, the a big actress mm-hmm. getting nude and supposedly showing something. I don't know if she did or not, but so I think that kind of broke open the Hollywood stars to all start doing nudity too. You know, I could be wrong, but no, I, I, Todd and I were talking about this. Yeah. Todd and I were talking about this, uh, before we, uh, called you and, um, we just, I don't know. Uh, it, it, we would be sad to think that, um, you ever felt imposed upon, um, did you feel that way at times, or was it always just something that you were willing to do for the craft? It was something I was willing to do for the craft. My dad was a doctor, so it wasn't like nudity was like, you know, uh, and it wasn't like a religious family or something where they sure. think nudity is just horrible and disgusting. So I was lucky about that. A lot oh, well. of people grew up in very uptight households. Sure. sure. And it seems like horror in general, especially like in the 80s and 90s, when, you know, some of these movies that we've been reviewing have been done, it was almost a given. It was almost a requirement. Yeah, you've got to appeal to that teenage boy yeah. crowd. And so there's going to be a shower scene, you know, there's going to be a lovemaking scene here, blah, blah, blah. And I, it seems like as we uh, grow up, you know, these films that are being made nowadays don't seem to have that same standard. Or is it just what we're watching? I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you What do you see from where I, you stand? You know what? I don't know. I still haven't seen John Wick yet, and I want to see it. (laughs) It's like I'm mad. Maybe Keanu gets naked. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, really. But it seems like, well, it definitely was a formula then. There was the nudity, uh, the shower scene usually with the nudity that would be worked in there some way, lovemaking, and then... Monsters and blood, lingerie, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, lingerie, 
things like that. In fact, I got to do one movie because one girl, it changed the way they filmed because uh, they now film nudity first because one girl like did, they filmed with her and then it came down to the nudity scene and she was like, oh, I got them now. They can't film without me and she refused to do it. So they just kicked her off. It was on graduation day and got me because I had come in and auditioned and I was second best, so they gave it to me. (laughs) Well, that's interesting because that leads to – we had um, a a gentleman that you've worked with, uh, Mr. Bill Oberst Jr., did uh, our podcast with us. In fact, it was he who uh, recommended you. So you have him to either thank or or blame uh, because after we finished Uh. talking – after we finished talking about his film, um, we continued speaking for a little while off, you know, not recording. And we specifically asked about you because we're such big fans. And we said, Me? maybe you could put in a good word for us. And he said, just contact her. She's lovely. She'll do it. <laughs> oh, so, uh, how sweet. So we really appreciate He's a good man. He is. He was a very kind guy. Um, But one of the questions that we asked him was, were there any roles that came along that you passed on that you later regretted passing on? Or were there any roles that you took that you later regretted taking? Well, you know, there's always going to be a movie you go, oh, God, it's just terrible. But I feel like everything happens for a reason. And for some reason that happened, that I did that bad film. Maybe it taught me something. Maybe it helped me in some way. You know, I met somebody there that was doing another movie. So I think everything happens for a reason. Yeah. What so a lovely I can't attitude. really regret. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do that. I mean, I, my mood, I just let the wind blow me where I was going to go because I wasn't sure, really. <laughs> and it blew me in a direction that is letting me save animals. Because I was gonna like move closer into Hollywood, but it had me come here. Wow! Well, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. Kind of cool. And you've been working. Yeah. And you've been working in the horror genre almost exclusively, but you've done some other roles out there too. Is horror something that you've just kind of fallen into? You're comfortable with? Have you have you wanted to kind of branch out into other roles, or maybe there's some non horror roles that you've done that are that really stand out to you as some of your famous ones, or some of your favorite ones? Well, a lot of them are comedy that I do a oh, lot of them right. are like the comedy horror mm-hmm. so it's like I've done Silent Night Deadly Night which is a you know tongue-in-cheek kind of like well it's a slasher film it's definitely yeah. a slasher film and I'm trying to think Graduation Day Silent Night Deadly Night or strictly you know slasher films but mm-hmm. I've mainly done ones like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers and Sorry Babes that were just fun oh gosh so much fun take themselves fun. serious yes. yeah yeah and I love sorority babes because I got to play the, the badass and it was just so much fun to do that. Uh, we loved it too. And we just had a great time talking about it. We've laughed and laughed and we've gotten such a wonderful response uh, to that episode. Uh, we, oh, you're, good. you're, you're constantly working. I mean, you were um, gracious enough to agree to do this with us, but your schedule is so busy that, you know, it took some time to arrange. So you've been working on a lot of things. Is there anything that you'd like to plug that's coming up? I saw on your Facebook page that you were, you were promoting a, a film called uh, Death Care. Is there anything going on with that? Or are there other projects that you'd like to mention? Barn 2 is in September. And then Brett Mullins is doing... Uh, Killer Babes and the 
film fiasco or something. The something film fiasco. I get it wrong every time. I've got to learn it like sorority babes. <laughs> right. And I had it written down and I can't find it now, which is usual for me. Oh, wait, no, I have it. Killer Babes and the Frightening Film Fiasco. Ah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> yes, that's the name of it, which is a great name, but hard to remember for me. Yeah. And then there's some other ones that Judy has, my manager has lined up and some conventions and I get to go to Salem again this year. I don't get to go overseas this year, but, you know, I'll be in the States and in Salem. So that's cool. Excellent. <laughs> Just, you know, trying to get somebody to help with fixing up Moulin Rouge for the animals so that it's a better place for them to be in while they're looking for homes. Yeah. But I'm just lucky it had that building. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the building was? Wait, one, one thing. You know what the building was originally? No. no. A square dance hall. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. There's speakers in there, these big old speakers. And yeah, it was a square dance hall. Wow. Oh, that's great. So the do- it's perfect for Moulin Rouge then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the dogs will be doing the can-can and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have been working so hard and so steadily just over the last several decades. Is there are is there any idea of calling it quits on the horizon, maybe focusing on some of your other passions? No. And... Oh, my God, no, 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 no. No? Well, I would that. never. Uh-uh. That's so good to hear. Never, never, never. Yeah. Why? You know, I don't see any reason why. Oh, I don't either. And we we can't wait to continue seeing you and things. We uh, have overstayed our welcome a little bit. uh, And we apologize. We want to be very respectful of your time. Uh, Again, can't thank you enough uh, for doing this. You know, we're just a, a couple of guys we met. Uh, in our college town. Um, now Todd is off doing things in Beijing. I'm still back here in the States. And oh. and we just do this, you know, as fans. Um, and for somebody of your stature to agree to uh, come and speak with us, um, you have no idea how much that means to us. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm happy, you homeboys. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the worst, the worst, like... Homeboy accent. Homeboy. <laughs> I wouldn't make it in the gang, I guess. I don't know. I, I think you but, could pull your own. Oh, we're pretty sure of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll put like a teardrop on my eye and, you know, <laughs> mean and rap. So thank you for having me on. It was a scream, I tell you. Thank you so much, and, and uh, best of luck in all your endeavors, including your your animal, uh, your work with animals. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a trip, wasn't it? It was a trip. She sounds like a fun lady. So do you want to get started talking about this movie? Oh, God. <laughs> sure. I wish we had picked, like, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers or something. Yeah, I do, too, but oh, well. So uh, Creepazoids is, uh, you know, we've done uh, some of uh, Linnea's more iconic films. This was one that was a little higher on the list of low-budget films made around that same time, but also a little bit earlier uh, in her career, before (laughs) some of the more breakout hits of Night of the Demons and whatnot. So it's nice here to see David Coteau in one of his earlier films, although it's pretty typical of his films, which are very low-budget. Uh, shot very quickly, clearly for very little money. But he's always said, and we mentioned this the last time we had uh, one of his films on here, is that he makes movies to be seen. 
Right. So he's he's looking for that script or that concept that's going to get butts into seats, and he just tries to make it as entertaining as possible using what little he has as effectively as he can on the screen, usually in a very, very short amount of time. I think this movie was shot in like 12 days. So, yeah. Um, well, and, and this guy, he's super prolific, too. Like, he's got tons and tons of credits. You know, he's done several Puppet Master uh, sequels. Um, he did a series of movies called The Brotherhood, which were like these homoerotic thrillers. Of course, Sorority Babes at Slime Bull Ballarama, which we really liked. And right now, he's working on a whole series of Lifetime movies that are being produced by Vivica Fox, and she's starring in all of them. And there's like... <laughs> five or six of them in production now. So this guy, you know, he gets around. You can talk about some of the, I don't know, you could be critical about some of the elements of the lower budget aspects of his movies, but he's clearly doing something right because he's getting a lot of stuff done. Well, it's kind of like, you know, again, going back to like um, Linnea Quigley's story, you know, you you get into this and it it leads you places, right? You just never know where where it's going to go. And horror has been a jumping point for a lot of people, right? We talk about Roger Corman all the time. We talk about uh, a lot of these names keep popping up because, you know, these movies, especially the earlier ones, they're so cheap. They use a lot of the same people. Uh, they use a, even some of the same crew, I guess. So this becomes a, a bit of a community, and they all help each other. So somebody gets a break. Somebody ends up using them in their films. And then you get a guy like Jack Nicholson, who starts out in Roger Corman's shop mm-hmm. uh, doing some low-budget films and is now super, super megastar, right? There's so many of these stories, James Cameron, whatnot. So Well, and I think Dick... Didn't Dick Coteau start working with him? Isn't that where he got his start, too? Wasn't oh, it Corman? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. you know, you just can't knock the genre <laughs> too much. Right. And the production company is Full Moon. And isn't that, is that Charles Band's yeah. production company? Yeah. Yeah. Super. They're making tons of money. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah. And they were pumping out movies, too. You know, in, in the era before we had hundreds of cable channels. We talked about it a million times, but it was video store culture, and they had to keep pumping out these movies to make money. Nerds like you and me were always excited to see what was going to pop up on on the shelves, especially these movies that didn't get a lot of public er, uh, publicity, really. So unless you subscribe to Fangoria or some other publication like that, you may not have even known that these movies were coming out. They would just appear on the shelf. Yeah, literally on the shelf. They never really made it to theaters because, you know, most of these movies, the direct-to-video market was huge, and we've talked about that before, too, about how, um, you know, you couldn't make movies fast enough in this golden little era where almost any concept would go. If you could shoot it cheap enough, you could get a cool-looking cover and a nice concept, uh, get a few beautiful girls in there, kind of follow the formula, <laughs> have a shower scene. This movie's got it too, right? And right. And, and then mm-hmm. it's on the shelf, and, and there it is. And then it gets a second life on cable. And some of these movies have really, even though uh, you might watch them, like, you know, for this film, for example, is not my favorite film. But uh, you, you watch them, it gets a bit of a cult following. It just finds its niche audience that for one reason or another, whether it's ironically or whether it's you know truly out of a love or, or some special memory that they have attached to watching that movie, well into adulthood, these movies are still being seen. They're still making money for the people in them and the people producing them. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and you and I both have favorites from that era that are certainly not 
you know, high quality films, but it's because we did catch them on cable and, and late at night or on a Saturday afternoon or whatever. And, um, they were entertaining. Yeah. This movie is, is not great. You know, I, I know that you said it's not one of your favorites. I actually liked it. I thought that it was kind of fun. It definitely, you know, you can be critical of some of the effects and, and possibly some of the acting, even though I thought the acting was above the standard of a lot of the things that we watch. That's true. You know, I, I really enjoyed Linnea Quigley in this film. You know, if you are a fan of hers, you are getting exactly what you're signing up for with her. You know, she's spunky, she's fun, she's sexy. You know, it, it really looked like everybody was having a good time. Um, you, you're going to get to see her boobs, because you usually do. <laughs> and that's that's great. Uh, it's It's funny, her take on nudity was interesting to hear about. Uh, and it was also, I read that in this movie, there are only two women in this movie. There's uh, her, and she plays Blanca, and another woman who at the time was going by the name Kim McCamey, and she plays the role of Kate. And the two women were initially cast in the opposite roles. But Kim McCamey had reservations about doing the nudity, and Linnea quickly didn't, so they switched roles. Ironically enough, after this film, Kim McCamey changed her name to Ashlyn Gear and became a porn star. <laughs> yeah, like a really famous porn star at the time. Right, so I guess she got over her reservations uh, at some point. <laughs> And I didn't get to say it to Miss Quigley, and I don't know, she'll probably never listen to this, um, but uh, I actually have a lot of admiration. For, I, you know, I respect actors and actresses who say, you know, for whatever reason, I choose not to do this, and I stand firm by that choice. I also have a lot of respect for actors and actresses who are, say, who are willing to say, you know what? If that's what the role calls for, that's what the role calls for. And whatever insecurities they may have, whatever discomfort they may have at being, you know, seen at their most vulnerable by thousands or millions of people, they do it. I actually find that to be very admirable, that she's somebody who was was willing to take on those roles when perhaps others weren't. And she said that, you know, she kind of felt like she had to, to some extent, if she wanted to get the good roles, but that she was also willing. And uh, yeah. so, she I don't know. She just seemed like such a cool lady. She did. She really she really does. Just just like in the movies, right? I mean, she just... Yeah. That's, that's what I really enjoy, you know, watching movies with her in it. It's simply the whole package. She's spunky. She's usually tough and in charge. And even if she's the victim and she's kind of running around screaming, she still seems to have this edge to her. I just think she gets cast that way. And, uh, and that's really unique, actually. There are not many women in the genre who play roles like she does. She's a very... Even if you don't know her name, just by seeing her characters up on the screen, you're probably going to recognize her. You see enough of these. You're like, oh, it's that it's that woman. Yeah, she has a really unique look. She's very petite. In fact, they had to buy children's shoes for her to wear in this because they couldn't find adult shoes small enough. <laughs> She's very petite, very thin, um, <laughs> not to be disrespectful, but well-endowed uh, mm -hmm. in the chest area. And uh, she's got, you know, a very pretty kind of girl next door kind of look but another thing that i find so unique about her is she has a really unique voice mm. her voice is kind of in a lower register than you would expect coming from her body and it just kind of adds a depth 
to her character. She doesn't really come across as the bubbly bimbo, whereas she easily could with the way that she looked if she chose to go that way, but uh, she doesn't, you know? She seems more like a real person that you would know as opposed to just some stereotype, just some pair of boobs jumping around, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, I I get exactly what you mean. Again, that's the most appealing thing, I think, about watching movies with her in them, and so it's a lot of fun. You know, it's not the dying I hate. Even when I ran from the front, it wasn't because I was afraid of dying. It's the rats, isn't it? There were a hell of a lot of them where I grew up. I think you'd get used to it, wouldn't you? As we were watching this movie, which is basically an alien knockoff, uh-huh. um, more or less, and it, it even follows some of the same beats of, of like Aliens, the second one. Yep. It's set in the in a di- not so distant future. It's, it's actually the past for us. Right, <laughs> 1998, when the whole world had been overrun by war and such, and uh, people are scrambling, trying to survive, and people are deserting the army, and there are mutants running around everywhere. Which we I thought we were going to get to see more mutants, and I guess we didn't. Uh, but then there's acid rain. The acid rain is what keeps everybody from running around outside too much, mm-hmm. and so we just have a group uh, of. I mean, it's a very small cast it's like six characters a group of people who are you know kind of walking through the wasteland this acid rain hits and so they go inside this this building that they've run across that's an underground shelter then they discover that there's something else down there with them. Yeah, and, and there are funny parts. You know, this is one of those movies that I don't think was intentionally funny, but there were, I think it was just bad writing in some places. Yeah. Like, the way that they knew that it was going to rain is because one of the actors, Bursitis, acted up. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you could have just had the thunder. I mean, that would have been indication <laughs> enough instead of this guy, oh, my Bursitis, it's going to rain. <laughs> and then these shots of the clouds that we get to see at regular intervals just to remind uh-huh. us oh yeah there's still acid rain outside which by the way this stock footage of these clouds rolling in and this thunder have been in I don't know how many of these low budget <laughs> films that we've seen yeah. maybe all the full moon productions had them I, I know that at least a couple of Roger Corman's had this exact same stock footage of thunder and lightning it was very and the hand right the hand-drawn animation for lightning and uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> and it's all set against an 80s synth score which i actually kind of thought was fun i mean it's nostalgic well it's a it's a very aggressive score too i mean it's really in your face and it's clearly trying to make up for the lack of um, on-screen action it's trying to get you pumped up you know this is another one of those cases i think where the guy who's doing the score um had a lot of work to do to try to make these scenes of crawling through a tunnel very slowly seem like really exciting. Well, and there were clear limitations in other ways, too. I mean, they're supposed to be in this big facility. It obviously is not big at all because they just keep running up and down the same hallways and ending up in the same locations over and over and over yeah, again. Like three rooms. <laughs> right, and uh, you know, they'll split off and something will happen to a couple of them and just one of the other people who was away from them just immediately appears. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, because yeah. <laughs> they're literally just like 10 feet away from each other at all times. But when they get into this bunker, you know, it seems almost too good to be true. There's food there. There are, you know, this is supposed to be like a post-nuclear wasteland, but the electricity works. The com- there's a computer that's like online. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know how all this stuff works. Thankfully, there's also a working shower. 
<laughs> yes, which which uh, Blanca finds immediately. It is like, oh, I'm going to use this here in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and there it goes. <laughs> and then they, they go and eat in the mess hall, which is clearly a nod to uh, Alien, oh, the first one. Yeah, down to the clothes they're wearing, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's clearly... Uh, a throwback or just a cheap copy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But what happens is there's a creature in here. The nerdy one who was actually my favorite, uh, Jesse, he was cute. He was played by Michael Aranda. All really these other actors and actresses didn't do much. Um, the guy who played, um, Ken Abraham or excuse me, he played butch. His name's Ken Abraham. And he's like the, (laughs) <laughs> the butch one. Um, <laughs> he's a big time reality TV editor now. He does like Top Model and Real Housewives and Jersey Shore and the Jersey Shore spinoffs. Like, he's kind of a big deal. Well, he's the one who got to make out with uh, Linnea Quigley in the shower. Right after they eat, they immediately go, and uh, that was one of my favorite lines. He follows her, and he's like, "I'm going to stand guard." No, you're not. Ninety percent of household accidents happen in the bath. I'm standing guard. No, you're not. I'm not? No. You're going to come and soap my backside. (laughs) (laughs) Expert line delivery there. (laughs) And then boobs. And at some point, a pretty gratuitous uh, shower sex scene. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised how gratuitous, frankly. And yeah. I, I always wonder how those things work because they both looked very naked. <laughs> yeah, super close, very naked, pressed up against uh-huh. each other just as far as you can go. I, I would... Boys have issues with that, but I don't know. The, 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 you know. the miracle of Hollywood, whatever. Yeah. But eventually, Jesse... Yeah, I don't know. There's this whole thing on the computer where, like, he finds somebody's log, and it doesn't really ever amount to anything. I'm not even no. really sure what it was supposed to be, um, but it ended very ominously with like, uh, I haven't written for a while, but I've done it and I've covered my tracks, and the blood was really hard to clean up. I'm not exactly sure. It seemed like they're like the scientists were going stir crazy or something. And they figure out that what they were trying to do was find a way for humans to produce their own amino acids so that they wouldn't have to eat. And I just thought it was so funny that they kept saying amino acids are the building blocks of life. Like, <laughs> I know. I went to junior high, too. <laughs> That's right. But I think you need more than amino acids uh, to be able to just not eat. <laughs> A lot of other nutrients you got to get into your body as well. <laughs> but eventually, Jesse, he crawls through an air shaft because he hears something and a big monster attacks him. And then it's the next morning and I there was somebody in his bed and I thought, oh, they're going to find his dead body. no. He's seemingly fine. Mm -hmm. So they go back to the mess hall, and they're all eating and talking about how good the food is. And somebody's like, come on, Jesse, you have to eat because we need your strength or whatever. He takes one bite of food and immediately starts, like, bleeding out of every orifice in his face. And eyes turn green. It's basically the chestburster scene from... Uh, alien. But not as awesome. Without a chestburster. <laughs> right, yeah. not as awesome. But the the exact same tone um, is what they were going for. Yep. And then they run around a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. and they keep finding reasons to get separated, and like, for some reason, the monster will, like, it keeps attacking Jake, the, the leader. It keeps attacking him and just dragging it back to its lair. 
I, I have no idea why. Yeah, just leaving him there. Like, <laughs> there's this. Well, the lair is is in a um, accessible through some kind of ductwork that leads right under the desk, and uh, you know it's discovered pretty early on by the young guy. So that's why he's a, uh, that's why he's attacked. So he crawls through this ductwork, and it's funny the way this is shot because you can kind of tell they didn't have an actual tunnel; they just had some metal to put up against the wall and on the floor. Uh-huh. And the camera's coming around, and they make it just seem so labored to crawl through this tunnel that it kind of works against the movie's favor because when they've got to really, really fly down this tunnel, they're still crawling at like a a snail's pace. <laughs> right. <laughs> the music is like pumping in the background, like I'm like, dude, this monster totally would have had you by now. <laughs> I know, and you know, like the monster will kind of keep appearing to people and not attacking, and then sometimes it will attack, yeah, and, and, and its motives are just completely unclear. Yeah, and it'll attack them, but then it'll like do whatever it does to them to make them go through this that you know kind of semi chest bursting thing. But then one person it like ends up it like spits on them or pees on them or something, <laughs> and that does something. But I'm not entirely sure what. But it just turns them kind of blacky and then Linnea Quigley she's her she's the only character who actually outright gets killed by the monster Uh uh-huh just picks her up and chomps her that's after it's just her and Jake left and I was really disappointed that she died because I really liked her character and I thought that she was gonna make it I was surprised that she died and you didn't even it wasn't even really a great death you know like the monster picked her up and then you just saw her feet dangling and blood coming down and that's it. Like, it was pretty unceremonious. And the monster is, um, it's got these giant pinchers and then these long, slimy teeth. And, uh, you know, with the way it's filmed at first, you don't see all of it. You kind of see some of it. And so it's really kind of does it a little more justice that this thing can kind of lift people up and chomp their heads somehow. But you never really see the detail. Like, it's not gratuitously gory in that way again i think it's just a budget limitation they had this big mask and this big outfit but they didn't have you know a lot of makeup effects to be able to show the effect on the human and so there's very little of that right and then later on the monster turns one girl into a zombie i guess that was weird like all of a sudden she's a deadite and she has a fight with linnea quigley and i wonder i read that the actual actress didn't do the scene mm. they sh- they used a stunt double and so they put makeup on her i wonder if that's why she like they had to put some kind of makeup on her oh. because otherwise we Maybe would have recognized that it wasn't the actress. But it was really strange and unexplained, as are most things. There's also giant rats running around. Yeah. And when I say running around, they're just stuffed animals that like <laughs> they somebody offset will like throw at a character and they'll catch it and then like pretend to struggle with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they were I thought they were cute. They reminded me of the Zombievers, kind of. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Zombievers. <laughs> but again, no explanation for why there were giant rats there. They just were, and they attacked. And it was because one of them bit Kate in the neck. That's why she apparently turned into a zombie. And then there was a, a pretty decent fight scene with uh, Linnea and, and the other actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not amazing, but choreographed some work went into it people are flying across the room hitting the walls and stuff it, it ends yeah. up down to jake by the end of it and uh again i mean it's kind of funny to watch but they're they're really trying hard to give you a lot of tension in this final scene with jake and this monster who by now we've been able to see full body which is clearly a rubber suit so it's a little sad <laughs> when you i didn't think it looked that bad i mean yes it was clearly a rubber suit but i thought that the design was pretty good i mean uh, head up wasn't bad 
I thought that, you know, it was pretty evident that they were kind of at least trying to make it look like the Xenomorph. Yeah. Um, but a little bit different. You know, it was a little bit more upright, I guess probably because it had to be because it was just a guy in a suit. But um, And then at the end, it seemed bigger, and I, I read that they did some, you know, crane work with it. And it did, it moved awkwardly, but I thought the design was okay. I really... <laughs> I don't have much terrible to say about this movie. I didn't love it either, but for, you know, I sat here and watched it in the afternoon, and it's short. It's only an hour and 12 minutes. Seemed longer to me. <laughs> it's, it did. It seemed a little bit longer, but I think that part of that is because in this final act, when it's just Jake and the monster, I felt like they were stretching for time. Yeah. Like, it's just cat and mouse for a good 10 minutes but it's not least. even it's not really interesting cat and mouse though that's the problem mm-hmm. and it's kind of simple symptomatic of why there's very little tension i think in the movie is because well a as we kind of outlined earlier there's no rules established that are clear that we can follow so we don't really know the monster's abilities we don't really know what happens to people we don't know how he's traveling because he just shows up sometimes like in the corner of a room suddenly he's there Mm -hmm. kind of inexplicably so we don't get to see that and again like we said earlier it's the same three locations and so it all gets quite familiar to us and so that even kind of adds to that and then this final fight scene i mean it's clearly a smaller room than they're trying to make it seem Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be almost like a library of shelves you know just shelves stretching very far but then these shelves are all like kind of like wire shelves that you could easily like see through and jake grabs some random uh, package off of the one of the shelves and opens it up and it's got a syringe and a bunch of chemicals or something into it and so he starts frantically putting the syringe together not really knowing what it is but somehow he believes that if he injects the monster that will kill it and he's right yeah (laughs) and then it's it's all just like these close-up shots of the monster walking of the monster's feet going and then and then another shot of jake you know standing up quietly against a shelf and then a shot of the monster's head moving forward and then jake is inching along the shelf and it's basically like that back and forth and then so he injects the finally after a whole bunch of this he finally gets up behind the monster injects him with this serum and falls back triumphantly like he knew it was going to happen the monster falls forward and stops moving and jake i guess is nursing his shoulder and he's nursing his shoulder for a good five minutes which gives us enough time to see the most bizarre part of this whole movie. My favorite part. Oh, yeah. Which is, I think, where most of the budget went, right? Into this puppet thing, creature, baby with fangs. I loved it. Yeah, it made absolutely no sense at all. (laughs) It comes out... Again... It's like the chest burster, like it bursts out of this monster's head or abdomen or something, I don't know. And it it's kind of like a human baby monster hybrid. I swear I've seen it before. I I swear. It looks like the baby from like It Lives or Yeah, yeah it does in the face, but it's very articulated. I mean, it's got It that, is. It's got that 80s, you know, animatronic head thing going 100% and I'm like, "Wow, I did not expect that to show up in this movie." Well, no, certainly not the evil baby with fangs, but then also like um, it's the best looking special effect in the whole thing. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the baby keeps attacking him. The baby keeps attacking, him, which once again, we've talked about this a million times. It's like it leaps on him, sort of. Uh-huh. Somebody tosses it on him and then he like rolls around with it like he couldn't just chuck this thing away from him anytime he wanted or step on its head or kick it away. Uh, it shouldn't be the threat that it's being presented at, but you know, I guess his shoulder just 
really, really hurts. Right. <laughs> but but he ends up strangling it with its own umbilical cord, yeah. which I thought was, was really <laughs> clever. And like you said, the animatronic was actually pretty sophisticated. Like, I was really impressed with right? the facial expressions it was making as it was dying. Like, it, it really looked kind of like it was in agony, and then it, you could kind of tell when it started to fade away. Oh. I loved it. Oh, I It was know. very B-movie creature. I loved it. It was, and I know that this has shown up in some other movie or, or, or ends up showing up in a future movie because it just looks way too familiar. Way too familiar. And it's too expensive of, of a puppet for, the, for Full Moon to not reuse two or three more times. Oh, right, right. And the, that was the thing, again, you know, in the moment I couldn't, I didn't think to ask, but I would have loved to have known, like, if I had been on that set, I definitely would have stolen one of those rats, because they were super cute, and I'm sure that that baby was too expensive to to go missing without there being an issue, but uh, I bet anything that's sitting in somebody's storage locker somewhere, it's it's so cool, it was such a cool prop. And then that's, you know, that's pretty much it. It was a nice cap to a movie. I mean, like like I said, I, I, this was not my favorite film. I found it a little bit of a chore to watch at times. It just kind of dragged really slow, and there really wasn't much tension. Like you said, it had its moments. It it had some nice characters in it. But it was nice to finally, at the end, kind of... It's like they saved all the goods for the end. So, you know, you watch it through long enough, and then, you know, that's how you should. That's how you should do it. Give everyone kind of a big, uh, a big bang at the end, and that's how I felt, you know, it, it ended, so... For that, well, right, and and Jake crawls away, and the last the last frame we see is that the baby wakes up. It's not really dead. Yeah, <laughs> and supposedly there was a they had planned to do a sequel, but it just it never happened. I would have it would have been interesting if they, you know I, I would love to see where they would go with that <laughs> that creepy baby. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Without Linnea, I don't know that it would have been worth it. No, probably not. It was also uh, remade, I guess, in 97. No, excuse me. uh, Oh, gosh. Yeah, 97. It was remade under a different title, Hybrid. Um, And I looked that up, and it has terrible reviews. And and just from the box art, it looks awful. But there are, and and as I alluded to in our interview with Miss Quigley, you know, I read every single fan review uh, on IMDb for this movie, and they were they were pretty harsh. Uh, some of them tongue in cheek. There were a couple of people who appreciated it for the B movie that it is, but for the most part, uh, people were pretty critical. But there was a lot of love for Linnea Quigley, and I I understand why. You know, not many of my friends and family are are horror fans. So when I told them, oh my gosh, we're interviewing Linnea Quigley, they're like, who? Yeah. Um, but fans of the genre... No. <laughs> no, th- this woman is an icon. She, I mean, she really is. You know, she's been labeled America's scream queen. Um, she has been called queen of the bees, as in queen of the bee movies. And, and she really is. Uh, she may not have found the same level of fame that some of the other scream queens of the 80s achieved but within the genre she is very loved and now having spoken to her in real life i i can understand why she just seems like a lovely person she seems very down to earth very charming and it was incredibly gracious for her to do this with us and so we're very appreciative yes we are thank you so much for joining us on the show today Well, that's another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. 
You can find our Facebook page just by searching Two Guys and a Chainsaw on Facebook. We get a lot of comments, questions, and uh, fan reaction there. You can let us know who else we should have on the show or what other movies uh, that you would like us to review. Just leave us a request there. You can also go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where we have all of our back episodes available for streaming or just find us on your favorite podcast-serving app. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.